These three questions are related to how to get started in multifamily syndication, raising money and buying apartment communities. And there are three questions that I commonly get. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fun That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fun That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times, giving us his insight on the online lending process. Fun That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project or if it's not profitable you need to know that too and make a determination on the max purchase price super important you can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever get that free analysis tool fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever best ever listeners how you doing welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm joe fairless this is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast and with us today we got theo hicks who's gonna help us with follow along friday hey theo how's it going joe it's going well, my friend, and we are recording this as we did last week live from my office, which is turning into a studio slowly but surely. We got some cool some lights today, yeah, That's umbrella good. light thing <laughs> happening, and slowly incorporating some more studio esque type of mm-hmm. stuff. Best ever listeners, today because it's Friday, we're going to do as we usually do a special segment called Follow Along Friday, and. Follow Along Friday is all about what we got going on in our entrepreneurial endeavors. Specifically, with today's episode, we're going to talk about answers to three questions that we received from last week as a result of you know saying, hey, email some questions. Mm-hmm. And these three questions are related to how to get started in multifamily syndication, raising money and buying apartment communities. And there are three questions that I commonly get. So we thought, well, why don't we just make an episode around this and we'll address them. And by the way, best ever listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, then we're also doing a Facebook Live right now when we initially recorded it, which is Monday at 10.15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if next week, you want to see this live versus waiting for Friday when it releases, then go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash meet Joe Fairless, and you'll be able to see the video live and then also interact with us too along the way. We might stay a little bit later after we record this episode to answer some questions. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, Theo, you want to kick it off? Let's do it. So guys, as Joe said, we've got three questions here. 
all around how a beginning investor, well, I guess questions that a beginning investor would have. And the first question is around advice for after you've already identified a market and properties. And so the exact question is, what advice could you give for someone who is starting out? I'm in the process of setting up an LLC and I've identified some really great properties in my market. Cool. So I think first thing I'd say is the Tim Ferriss is ringing in my head right now because what I would recommend when we ask questions, so this I'm not going to directly answer it yet, but yeah. I will. What I recommend when we ask questions is to be more defined in how we ask these questions. For example, what advice would you recommend for someone just getting started? It's tough to answer that question. And I didn't mention this earlier, but the individual who asked this question actually emailed me before. Okay. And it was a very long email. And I didn't know what to say to this very long email because there wasn't a specific question. And so I actually replied to her Mm -hmm. and I said, can you actually let me know what specifically you'd like me to answer for you? And they came back with a question. And so first thing is make sure we're asking good questions. And how we ask good questions is we clearly define what we're looking for and the recipient of the question knows what success looks like for once they answer it. I remember Tim, Mm -hmm. when he was starting out, he asked a really successful entrepreneur about a life choice or something he was trying to make. Like, what do you think I should do here whenever he was trying to make a a career choice or something? And the guy replied by saying, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, I'm not sure how to handle that. So that's my first comment. But as far as suggestions for how to get started for starting out, because that was the question, right? Yeah. What advice you give someone that's starting out and it seemed like it's just a general question? Well, and I can give a fairly general answer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We, as apartment syndicators, as multifamily syndicators, what we need to know is how to match up money with the deal. Pretty simple stuff. We need to match up the money that either our money or a portion of our money, regardless if you're raising money or not, is either we need money and we need to match it up with a good deal. So in order to do that, in order to match up money and the deal, we have to be able to attract money, whether Mm -hmm. it's our own money or other people's, and we have to be able to identify good deals. Therefore, from the money standpoint, what I recommend getting to get started? Well, I recommend initially you don't focus on the money. You focus on finding good deals. And how you find good deals is that you know what a good deal looks like. Mm -hmm. Because we have to be able to be educated. We have to be able to be aware of how to underwrite deals, of how to talk the talk, how to build our teams. And once we have that in place, once we have the foundation then we can start talking to investors. Mm -hmm. And once we have the investors aligned, once we have generated interest, peak curiosity from the investors, then we go find the deal. So first you establish the foundation, make sure we know how to look at markets, what to look for with markets, by the way, it's jobs, it's job diversity and supply and demand, basically, those Mm -hmm. are the three things. How to underwrite deals, what type of business model are we going after? Is it, yep. is it more class A apartment communities, which 
likely it isn't. It's probably, as someone starting out, probably class C, maybe D, if you're brave enough. (laughs) (laughs) I buy B apartment communities, but initially I was buying C, but you'll find that people usually evolve or level up from C to B as they get going because the capital expenses from a class C that are supposed to be non-reoccurring magically somehow reoccur over Mm -hmm. and over and over. And once we have that done, then we can start the process of actually getting a deal. But if we don't have the foundation, so if we're not listening to podcasts like this and others, Mm -hmm. if we're not reading books, watching YouTube videos, and meeting with real-life individuals in person then we're not prepared yet to get the money or the deal. We have to get the foundation established first and then start working on the money and the deal. So this is not going to be a very specific question yet, but would you recommend that there's a, a period of time that someone goes through like a mandatory minimum type of deal where it's like you should educate yourself for this amount of time before you even start looking to buy deals or asking other people for money? The reason I ask that is because, especially when you're dealing with other people's money in larger apartment deals. If you don't really know what you're talking about and you go to a broker and start talking with them, they'll be able to realize that. Or if you go to ask you know, someone for money, you don't know what you're doing, they're going to be like, of course, I'm not going to do money. So would you say that there's, I guess, a, a amount of time that someone needs to spend first just strictly focusing on building that foundation? Or is it kind of a, a case-by-case basis depending on an infinite amount of other variables? I wouldn't say there's a specific amount of time because we all progress at different speeds and there are way too many variables to isolate and then determine amount of time however i will say that there are specific things that you have to have in place one of the things like i mentioned is build the foundation but we also have to build a brand because Mm -hmm. i know one challenge that i had starting out was i was a vice president of a advertising agency in new york city what type of perception is that compared to a multifamily syndicator? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, I had to shift the perception of me being someone who is in advertising to someone who is a multifamily syndicator. And so there are milestones along the way, but as far as how long that takes, it's different for everyone. I have a client, he was 22, I think, at the time, 21 or 22, and he raised over $300,000 in six months and bought a 30-unit apartment Mm -hmm. building in Virginia while living in New York City. But then there are others, who myself included, who took longer. Mine was about eight months. So, you know, the nature of commercial real estate in general, I mean, it takes a couple months at minimum Mm -hmm. this is if you're just going after it full time looking at deals to find something at minimum yeah and that depends on a lot of factors as well and then once you find something then it's 60 90 days to close so that period of time and there's six months right there and then depending on what your starting point is there's a lot leading up to getting there yeah Uh, so there, there is ramp up time and This is by no means a quick get-up-and-running type of business. There's a long lead time. I think with wholesaling, there would be a much quicker get-out-of-the-gate, start-making-a-buck 
approach, but the upside isn't as great, in my opinion, to wholesaling. And it's not as scalable, whereas I think with multifamily syndication, the more apartment buildings you purchase, the easier it is, quite frankly, to scale because you can bring on the right team members mm-hmm. and you're able to scale a lot faster, in my opinion, once you reach the tipping point. Whereas wholesaling, I think you've, you've got to block and tackle along the way. And as you can tell from your business, the, you've been able to systematize it so much better over time. Like at first, it was probably a little more difficult. And then mm-hmm. as time went on, you got better and better at it. Whereas now, it's like you're pumping out deals mm-hmm. constantly now. That's what it seems like to me. So, yep, perfect. Well, let's move on to this next question. I know you got some really good answers for this. So the next question they ask... We're, we're supposed to set the bar low no, and then overachieve. <laughs> the next question is, what would be some great ways that I could potentially raise capital? So again, kind of more specific more question specific. Here. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's a good question. Volunteer. That is a surprising and specific way of raising money. And everybody benefits. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite nonprofit cost? Right now, I don't volunteer for anything, but I was involved in a nonprofit called Starfire that helped out people in developmental disabilities and kind of integrate them into the community versus just making their own community by themselves. And so I've, mm-hmm. I've interviewed that guy, my, the founder of that on my podcast a couple of times, mm-hmm. and I've been wanting to volunteer. I've got really no reason why I haven't yet. So Well, you've contributed in some way yeah. by interviewing the founder and getting more mm-hmm. exposure. Yeah, the organization. It's, it's probably one of my podcasts that I have the most views. He's such an interesting guy. So that's one of my favorite ones. And there's another one that's called 4C for Kids, which is a essentially it's a, a, a nonprofit that focuses on at-risk youth, mm-hmm. and especially when they're younger, kind of tackling them when they're younger. And but of course, people that you meet through there, I mean, there's there's so many people that are involved in this. So that's why I remember when he told me about volunteering to potentially raise money for deals. It's like literally why I did it when I was there I could see oh yeah everyone wins here too because I'm Mm -hmm. contributing I feel good they feel good everyone feels good and then there's also this potential to raise money as well so how do you approach that? That's the key that I do it because it feels good and it is beneficial for everyone who's receiving the volunteer hours or dollars and if we don't go into it with that approach then find another cause because I guarantee you Everyone has one cause that will be near and dear to their heart. And they'll feel passionate about that cause. So once we do that, then we're volunteering. We're connecting with people on a genuine, raw level versus meeting someone for a lunch meeting or something because you have a a mutual acquaintance that's different from where... Packing food supplies for Thanksgiving food drive for the local food center. And I've got the rice and beans and you've got the chicken broth. And we're on assembly line and we're just hanging out for six hours or whatever it is. That interaction, that engagement, if when done consistently, is much more real than any other type of engagement. So when we do those sorts of things... So one, identify what we're passionate about or at least what you'd like to help out with. I mean, just locally, nationally, whatever. Just something that's like, you know what? I like this nonprofit. One, do that. Identify. And then two, volunteer. Start volunteering. My two of choice 
that I work with now is Junior Achievement. All the profits from the best ever book, volume one, and soon to be released, volume two. Really pumped mm-hmm. up about that. That's releasing later this month or early February. They're being donated to Junior Achievement of Cincinnati. I just wrote and gave a check to the president of Junior Achievement of Cincinnati two, three days ago when I met with him for 3000 bucks mm. for the volume one from the sales so far. And you don't make much on books, by the way. <laughs> but $3,000 is a significant it amount is. of money, and we donated it. So you actually, obviously, yeah. contributed. I, I'm feeling all the, yeah. the, the, the positive vibe that yeah. came from that, too. I'm sure that felt... I'm sure I felt really, you'd think that giving away money would feel bad, but always, I guarantee that felt really good. A golden rule is we always get a lot more when we give than when we receive. We always get a lot more yeah. when we give than when we receive. But identify the organization. Once you identify it, mine, as I mentioned, Junior Achievement. Also, I've applied to volunteer for hospice, too. Different angle. have not done that yet, but I've applied, and I'm getting in all the, the stuff. There are a lot of paperwork involved with that. Yeah, good man. Um, so find an organization, and then give some time, give some money, whatever is comfortable for you. Once you do that, you're connecting with people on a real level. Once you connect with people on a real level, then... You start building real relationships. And out of real relationships, people tend to want to help each other. And by the way, we are helping investors do better than what's typical. Mm -hmm. Sure, they're helping us grow our business, but I don't think of it that way. I think of it as us contributing to help them out. Because it's important not to ask for investments or it's important not to ask for or think we're selling anything because in my mind we're not. We're giving opportunities. That's an important distinction too. Mm-hmm. We're giving opportunities and we're not selling anything because when you talk to enough people about a good opportunity, then it's going to get snatched up. And that's the approach that we take with multifamily syndication. So identify and then once you identify, go volunteer and ideally you become a board member. For that nonprofit, because when you become a board member, which I'm a board member for Junior Achievement in Cincinnati, you are connecting with CFOs, CEOs, and influential people within that community. And it's likely that those influential people with those alphabet soup titles have money and are accredited investors. Mm-hmm. And I have specifically seen that play out in my volunteering and I did not go into it looking for anything other than giving and volunteering for a cause I'm passionate about but I'm also benefiting in many ways as a result of volunteering and becoming a board member I have investors who I've met through the board who have and are investors in my deals I also have been on the board for Texas Tech, the College of Media and Communications. I've been on the board there for, I don't know, about 10 years or something. Long time. When I started, there's no way I knew what I was going to be doing and buying apartments and raising money. But I've since had five or six investors that I know from the board who have invested in my deals. And so for someone starting out, how do you find private money? Well, this is the long game, by the way. 
This isn't for people who are fly by night. I want to get in, get out. This is people who, as we've talked about before, are approaching it from a decade standpoint. Yeah. Right? Like, when we approach it from a decade standpoint, not a one to two year thing or six month thing, God forbid. Yeah. When we approach it from a decade standpoint, then we're setting up our business for success in the long run. And that's how to do it. And I've seen firsthand that it will be very... My goal is simply make one new friend. That's it. One new friend. On the board, same thing. When I'm a board member for organizations, my goal is to connect with one person while I attend that meeting. Mm -hmm. It could be a new person. It could be the same person I know already. But just talk to one person and get to know them. There's no other method or thought process that I have other than that. And then staying in touch with them and getting to know them, seeing what I can do to help them out. Mm -hmm. And then naturally people start talking about what I'm doing. Exactly. That's just, they want to help you. It's just how the world works. People want to help you once you start helping them and getting to know them. And it's a very rewarding process for myself because I'm enjoying it and for them too. Yeah, it's kind of like what we talked about last week, too. Like, approach to add to that, you know, make one new friend, but also maybe approach situations when you're volunteering or when you're at conferences, like the dog, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's going to be a magical moment. Like, the dog wags its tail, and every time it sees someone, it's super jacked up. Mm-hmm. So I think if you add that to it as well, which is probably what you already do, then that'll build those relationships. Yep. So I was going to ask you, give an example of a, of a long-term play for raising money. But I remember when I first met you, I asked you like a technique on raising money. You kind of gave me that spreadsheet version of you know, make a list of everyone you know. And that seemed like a more short-term play. And it can also allow you to kind of brainstorm people that you already know. Instead of having to make new friends or make new acquaintances. Kind of leveraging your existing network to raise cash. Maybe yep. quickly go over that yes, technique. I really like that technique. Yep. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> So a tactical approach to this, and as you mentioned, more short-term, like, okay, that's what we do long-term, but okay, Joe, give me some stuff I can implement Mm -hmm. today. Well, one, today, go volunteer somewhere. But in addition to that, we have a spreadsheet that we've put together, and it is a money-raising spreadsheet. Email us, info at joefairless.com, and say you saw us mention it on the Facebook Live or the broadcast or on the podcast, and we'll get you this money-raising spreadsheet. So info, I-N-F-O, at joefairless.com. And this money-raising spreadsheet has the columns that you fill in for your investors with your investors' information. And it has – I won't go into all the columns, but – I'll name some of the more important ones, like where they live, some miscellaneous notes, how much they are likely to invest, and then how you know them. And Mm -hmm. the last two parts are the two I want to focus on right now. How much they're going to likely invest and how you know them. So when we look at our network, we want to identify how we came across the individual. So I mentioned Junior Achievement. I mentioned Texas Tech Alumni Advisory Board. There's your, referrals. Your flag football team. I flag think football one team. One of my investors, I only knew him because I was the captain of a flag football team in New York. We won the championship, by the way. Oh, yeah. A very proud moment of my life. <laughs> and so I wrote it, and I use this spreadsheet for my investors now. I mean, yeah. I, I use the same exact spreadsheet. 
So I write in how I know them, and the goal is to get one person from each of those networks to say, yes, I'm interested. That way, you can go to someone else in the network and say, hey, Theo and I were talking, and here's what I'm focused on. We thought it would benefit you as well. Mm -hmm. Because when you go in with a warm lead, that's going to set you up for success exponentially more than cold, obviously. And that's the specific way to go in with a warm lead in what we do. I know from my advertising days, the number one influencer of purchase intent is word of mouth. If we have word of mouth referrals, that is the number one way that people are going to be influenced on if they buy or not buy. And so this money raising tracker is set up to focus us on categorizing and regrouping people based on how we were referred to them. Because then we're able to approach one person from that group. And as far as the amount that they're likely to invest, I'm getting very tactical, but what we'll want to do is have 30% more in that total. You'll total up all of your investors and you'll have a total at the bottom. You want 30% more as that total than what you think you need for your deal because people are not going to invest who say they're going to invest. And by the way, people who have said they aren't going to invest, probably some will invest. So vice versa. But you want that 30% cushion so that you can confidently go look for deals. And that's a common mistake, which we won't get into in detail. But always have your equity lined up first before you look for deals because I've done it both ways. And it's a character-building experience if you find the deal first and then you're forced to try and find the funds. Always have your equity lined up first. So that is a tactical way of getting private money identified. I was flag football team was one of my first lead categories, alumni advisory board, volunteer organization, junior achievement, people who I worked with in my full-time job, people I babysat for. A lot of people might not know I babysat when I was in college as a part-time job and after I graduated in New York on the weekends to make extra money. Mm-hmm. So people who, families who I babysat for and then do the approach I mentioned. Yeah. My favorite part about that approach is the, you kind of put them in the groups and you, you just get one person. Once you've got kind of like identified that one person, they've just expressed interest, the kind of the social validation comes into play and that, as you explained, is like a huge factor in influence. And if you don't believe me, first of all, a lot of people in your podcast talk about this. I think last week, I believe it was it was Colby K. I can't remember what episode it was specifically, maybe like 861. But he was kind of going through his four pillars of how yeah. he approaches all of his startups and business. And he started tens of businesses. I think it was like 20, 30 businesses. And the one he stressed the most was the most important was the validation. Like, mm-hmm. does this product already have validation from someone else? Someone, do people like this product? And can you kind of name drop that to other people? And then secondly, if you look at like any a commercial or any type of advertising, that's basically all they're doing. Like if I want you to know that, oh, like validation is a huge influencing factor in, in advertising, you can see it. You see it everywhere. Like on billboards and commercials, you yep. constantly see them trying to show you like, oh, this person right here, the cool person's using this product. And so, oh, if I use that product, then that'd be cool too. And so that's why I really liked it because it has like you know, some psychological tactics in it too. Old school, and you look at ads from the 19... 19- 50s and 60s, you see famous actors and actresses endorse. Yeah. I mean, it's a spokesperson, right? Exactly. But then, as we've evolved our marketing, we have evolved it so that it's more 
people that we have a relationship with, that takes priority over LeBron James hmm. and oh. others. Because like, if I was looking for... Well, it also depends on where their expertise is. But let's say that... You gave me a recommendation, LeBron James. I saw on TV gave me a recommendation for something. I would yeah. go with what you recommended over what LeBron recommended because I know you. And unless it was specifically regarding some sort of peak performance, <laughs> yeah. you're not but a guy. No but James, yeah, you're no LeBron <laughs> James. So, yeah, it, it depends on what's being referred but yeah. in general that's why it works i mean it's just you got a psychological component to it if someone who you know is recommending something you're likely to try it because ultimately we hang out with people who have qualities that we would like or have qualities that are similar to ours that's it we like people who have qualities like ours or have qualities that we seek out Mm-hmm. And so when they talk to us about something, then we're initially interested because of that. That's very interesting. That's a good way to put it. Last question. Let's do it. Question number three. So we've talked about initial advice for someone starting out. We just went over you know, two really interesting methods for raising private capital, one long-term, one short-term. The last question is in regards to mentorship. Mm-hmm. So the exact question is, I've reached out and spoken to investors and real estate professionals in my area. However, I'm having trouble finding the right mentor. I've also tried attending meetups, but I find that a lot of people in my area are not too eager to help out with advice or it is just not a good fit in terms of what I'm trying to accomplish. Any suggestions on how to find a mentor? There's a lot of different kind of yeah. questions there, but I think that the general question is, is how do I find a mentor? Yep. I would say I would be curious. If this person were sitting here, then I would have a lot of follow-up questions with them before I actually answered the question. One question that I would ask is, you mentioned that individuals weren't interested in being a mentor. Well, what did you offer? Not even offer. That's the good way to do it. But the outstanding way to approach it would be, what did you already give them Mm -hmm. that they weren't happy with that you gave them? And I guarantee this person will say, well, I didn't give them anything. I asked them if they'd like to be my mentor. Well, that's a problem. There you go. That's the problem. You have to give them something. Identify what needs are and then attempt to solve those needs. Once you do that, you're going to show that you're valuable. Because they're valuable, you're seeking them out, they're mm-hmm. valuable, so give them something, and then you'll show that you have initiative, but more importantly in their eyes, you've benefited them in some way. So how do they find the mentor? That would be the first thing I'd ask them. But how do they find the mentor? Well, go through what I like to do, and that's look at social credibility. Look for people who are currently doing it, and have a system set up to help you out. It could be an in-person mentor in your market. If you want to stay local and dominate, then find someone who is in your market, excelling at a high level, and give them something. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. And not everyone's going to want to work with you. And maybe 10% of people want to work with you. Who cares? One out of ten people, you found someone. All you need to do is find one person exactly. to initially help you out. 
And so that's what I would do. If a best ever listener is wanting to find a mentor in multifamily syndication, then the first thing I would do is see who is excelling at a high level and currently doing it, and then reach out to them by providing them value. And it's pretty easy to identify what people need if you do online research or you just think about their business a little bit, have some critical thinking time, Mm -hmm. and think about what they're accomplishing, and then give them stuff. And it doesn't have to be monetary gifts. It can be research about relevant things that would solve a problem that they have. Or it could be proposals to introduce them to certain people. If they are an investor, then maybe they want to meet a high net worth investor who could invest in their deals. And the initial thought might be, oh, well, why would I do that? Why would I introduce them to someone who is high net worth and have that high net worth person I know invest in their deals? Why wouldn't I save them for my own deals? You don't have any deals, number one. And number two, well, you've solved two things perhaps when you introduce them. Number one, you've solved the bridging the gap from how do I add value to this person's life. But then number two, from a long-term standpoint, you might have solved how you get your first deal done. Mm -hmm. Because depending on how large that investor is, maybe they put in 50% of the equity. And I would almost guarantee that if someone were to bring an investor who brought 50% of equity, then they certainly would include that referral source on the general partnership. And they would be in the deal too. There's all sorts of ways to find a mentor, but it all boils down to add value to their life first and make sure, though, that they're currently doing deals. There are people who talk a good game, but they're not closing on deals or they don't have deals under management. And that's a red flag in my book. I would make sure that people are actively engaged in the business, not just teaching it. I think that's really good advice. I think a perfect place to kind of apply all that advice is to this podcast. Like when listen to podcasts, like someone like yours or whatever other real estate podcasts there are, we'll use yours specifically. I mean, you're talking to a different person six days a week. You're kind of explaining their whole entire business and the advice they have. But if you, if you listen, you can kind of identify at least maybe once a week, someone's having an issue with something. And so you can reach out and say, hey, I listen to your podcast. I really liked when you said these two pieces of advice. And so let them know that you're paying attention, you're interested in what they're talking about. And then maybe if they are having issues with, for instance, last week, one of your guests wants to start his own podcast. And I reached out to him and he said, hey, like, you know, I really liked your advice. That was really cool. I need help with thing. Let me know. He's like, oh, you know, I need help starting the podcast. I want to do a podcast on, you know, brokers. I'm like, oh, perfect. Yeah, let's get coffee and I'll let me start it up. And like, I'm, I'm not really expecting anything in return, but that's just, it kind of goes back to the, the volunteering thing too. It's starting to build relationships with people so you can identify those problems. I think a really good tactic is to find potential mentors, so to speak, on podcasts and then find out based off of the information they provided and then research you do on their website and their social media pages to figure out something you can do to add value or provide them with some sort of idea or maybe even offer to help them to work with them for free once a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it can be super simple, but it can also be really creative as well, just kind of depending on that person's needs. And, and everyone has something to give. I mean, they got time, they got money, they've got, everyone knows a little bit about something. A network. You know, a person. A person. Yeah. Yep. And I, I will say 
on the referral thing when you refer people, don't just refer people to that individual because they might not want the referral. And now you've created headaches and more email clutter for them. And it's happened a lot for me where people refer people to me, but I got a lot of emails already, yeah. and it's not necessarily the best referral that I'm looking for. And now it's actually a negative that that person did all these referrals <laughs> and not a benefit, which goes against what they're attempting to accomplish, I suspect. So just be aware of that. There are some people who ask if the referral should take place. So, for example, Theo wanted to refer people to me. Theo might say, hey, Joe, I've got two people. Do you mind if I refer these two people to you? These are the individuals. And that's one approach. That tends to be a bit cumbersome if you're Theo because it's just a lot of emails that you'd have to do. So if you know what they're looking for in advance, then that helps out. Best ever conference. We're going to end this on best ever conference. Best ever listeners, go to besteverconference.com. If you haven't already signed up, then what are you waiting for? Go sign up. We are going to be in Denver, Colorado, February 24th and 25th. There's also a Bigger Pockets meetup. Now, my conference is not in any way associated with Bigger Pockets, but there's a Bigger Pockets meetup at the Bigger Pockets headquarters on February the 23rd. I believe it's Thursday. That's Thursday, yeah. yeah. That's Thursday. I'm going to be there. My fiance, Colleen, she's going to be there. Theo might be there that day. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm if getting there pretty early Thursday. So I'm not okay, there. so Theo's going to be there. Meet the team there as well as check out the Bigger Pockets headquarters in mm-hmm. Denver. There's that meetup at their headquarters, and then we're going to have some sort of happy hour or something. Again, not Bigger Pockets related because my event's not associated with Bigger Pockets, but it just so happens that the meetup's that Thursday night, so we're going to have a conference thing that Thursday night, unofficial or officially. And then we're going to go into the conference Friday and Saturday in Denver, Colorado. So go to besteverconference.com, put in the code BESTEVER, and you'll get a discount off the tickets as well. Theo, where can the Best Ever listeners get in touch with you? You guys can come visit my website, theohicks.org, and come check out the Unplugged Podcast on iTunes. All right, Best Ever listeners, have a Best Ever weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.